I came across a delightful quote from a very old book recently. The book is called Elizabeth and Her German Garden, and it was published in 1898, so not on any current bestseller list. But let me read a section of the book to you. I have, for some years past, left off making good resolutions on New Year's Eve, because I've long since discovered that although the year and the resolutions may be new, I myself am not, and it is worse than useless putting new wine into old bottles. But I'm not an old bottle, said Iris indignantly when I held forth to her to the above effect a few hours later in the library, and I find my resolutions carry me very nicely into the spring. I revise them at the end of each month and strike out the unnecessary ones. By the end of April, they've been so severely revised that there are none left. I wonder how many of us make resolutions at New Year, and I wonder how many of us actually keep those resolutions. But I heard about one man who said that at the end of each year, he wrote down all the good things that he had done and then backdated them to January as his New Year's resolutions. I think, though, that Elizabeth has got to the heart of the matter in this book. Although the year and the resolutions may be new, I myself am not. I love New Year, a little bit like a Pastor Kirk likes Christmas. I love getting new diaries and new journals and new calendars because they are blank and they are empty and they are new. But what we really need on this last day of 2023 as we anticipate 2024 is not a new year or a new diary or a new notebook, but a new me. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, where he writes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And let me read that verse to you in its broader context. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and from verse 14. This is God's word to us. Paul writes, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. One Bible scholar has suggested that these are probably some of the most dramatic words in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, They're even more striking in the original Greek because literally the sentence reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. And that's the solution as we stand on the edge of this new year. It's not a new resolution that we need. That would be something that we do. No, what we need is a new creation which is something that God does. And so let's spend a few moments looking at this new creation before we look at three implications and applications to our own lives. There's much that could be said about this new creation that we find in these verses, but the key phrase, I think, in this passage are two little words, the words, in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Notice that Paul doesn't say, if anyone goes to church, they are a new creation. Or, if anyone reads their Bibles, they're a new creation. He doesn't even say, if anyone is a Christian, that person is a new creation. No, Paul uses one of the primary terms that the New Testament uses to describe believers. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The word Christian is actually only used three times in the New Testament, and it's always a term that is used by outsiders, uh, unbelievers, to describe those who follow Christ. The New Testament never uses the word Christian to describe us as believers, but this little term, in Christ, or in the Lord, or simply in Him, is used over 160 times just by Paul, And it's key to understanding who we are as believers. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, as Pastor John Stott points out, it doesn't mean to be inside Christ, as tools are in a toolbox or clothes are in a closet. Being in Christ means being organically united to Christ, as an arm or a leg are in the body or a branch is in the tree. It's a close, personal, committed relationship, stronger even than a marriage relationship in which two people become one, a man being united to his wife, a wife being united to her husband. This being united to Christ is something that God does. Look at verse 18 again. All this is from God, not from us. So how are we united to Christ? Well, it's not through my own goodness, my own righteousness, an attempt to make myself acceptable to God. It's not through my own effort or my own good works. No, the initiative and the action is all on God's part. God is the subject of all the action words in this passage. Paul tells us in verse 18 that God reconciled us to himself through Christ. The Bible tells us that by nature we are God's enemies because of our sin that separates us from a holy God. And there's nothing we can do 
we can't kind of meet God halfway. Uh, we're dead in our tra transgressions and sins. We're not interested in God. We're as unresponsive to Him as a corpse. And so God takes the initiative to reconcile us back to Himself, and He does so in the person of His Son, who's uniquely qualified to do so. Jesus is fully God, Colossians chapter 2. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And Jesus is also fully human, Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And so Jesus alone, the God-man, can reconcile man and God. As we sang a few weeks ago, God and sinners reconciled. And it's a reconciliation that takes place in two steps, if you notice. Firstly, Jesus takes my sin upon himself on the cross. Look at verse 21. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. Every evil thought, every bitter deed, uh, everything that I should have done and didn't do, all of that sin, Christ has taken it upon himself on the cross. And because Jesus has paid the price for my sin, God looks at me then and declares me to be not guilty. The price has been paid. The punishment has been taken by someone else. Uh, no one can exact two punishments for the same crime. But there's a second great step that takes place too. If you look at the second part of verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him is that little word again, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life while here on earth. It's difficult even to imagine. Never had an evil thought, said a false or unkind word, did an evil deed. He perfectly lived out the life God had for him on earth. And that perfect life is attributed to me so that I can freely enter the presence of a holy God. When we accept all that Jesus has done for us, the New Testament describes us then as being in Christ Jesus. Paul expands on this in Romans chapter 6, uh, where he speaks about baptism, which is an outward action of what has taken place inside us. And he says this, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, when I accept what Jesus has done for me, then his death becomes my death. I die to sin. I die to my old way of life. The old has gone. And then his resurrection becomes my resurrection. I'm raised to a new life in Christ Jesus. The new has come. So much so that Paul can write to the Colossians and say, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. All of that and so much more is included in that little term, in Christ Jesus. We become a new creation. And so let me ask you this morning, has that happened to you? 
Are you in Christ Jesus and therefore a new creation? Notice that that term, in Christ Jesus, involves a lot more than just a once-off event. It may well include a once-off event, a certain day and a time when I understood what Jesus did for me, and I asked him for his forgiveness, and I thanked him for his sacrifice, and I invited him into my life. But being in Christ Jesus involves much more than just that once-off event, in just the same way as a marriage involves a lot more than a wedding day. You can't say that you're married if you can't point to a date and a time where the marriage took place, but equally you can't say that you're married if you merely point to a date and a time, but are living a completely independent and removed life from your partner. Remember Jesus' words in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so let me ask us again, are we in Christ Jesus? Do we have a daily, living, personal, sustaining relationship with him? moment by moment. And if we want to check our answer to that question, in the rest of this passage, Paul gives us three pieces of evidence that demonstrate to us and to others that a genuinely new creation has taken place. Th these aren't three steps to becoming a new creation. Rather, these are three evidences that a new creation has taken place. Let's have a look. Firstly, being in Christ Jesus results in a new priority. Look at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Some of you may be familiar with the movie Saving Private Ryan. And if you're not familiar with it, I'm about to spoil the ending of it for you. It's not really an entertaining movie because it portrays in vivid detail the horrors of the Second World War, and in particular the landings at Normandy. And it does so through the lens of a quite a unique story. Uh, Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks and his men, are sent on a mission to find one soldier, Private Ryan, in the middle of the battlefield of Europe. It's a strange mission, uh, but the men have been asked to find Private Ryan because three of his brothers have already been killed in the war, and their poor mother will receive all three death notices on the same day. And so the decision is made at a higher level to get Private Ryan out of the war and back home. As you can imagine, this group of soldiers is not particularly pleased with their mission, uh, risking their lives just to save one man. At one point in the film, uh, one of the soldiers says to the captain, I hope this Ryan is worth it. He better go home and cure a disease or invent a longer-lasting light bulb. By the time this group of men have managed to locate Private Ryan, many of them have been injured and some of them have been killed. 
They save him, but at great cost to themselves. Near the end of the movie, as Private Ryan is about to be evacuated, uh, Tom Hanks, who is dying himself, grabs hold of Ryan and he says to him two words. He says, earn it. Earn this. And then at the very end of the movie, we see Private Ryan 50 years later as an old man visiting Captain Miller's grave. His family are behind him in the background, his children and grandchildren. Ryan turns to his wife and he asks, have I lived a good life? Have I been a good husband? And then he turns back to the grave and he says these words, my family are here with me today. They wanted to come with me. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure how I'd feel about coming back here. Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge, and I've tried to live my best, the best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes I've earned what you've done for me. Now as Christians, the words earn it don't apply to us. Jesus' final words on the cross were not earn it, rather it is finished. As we've seen, we can't do anything to deserve God's grace in our lives, but we can live up to it. Just as Private Ryan tried his best to live a good life in the light of the sacrifice that others had made for him. You you and I have been saved, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And not just saved in this life, but saved for eternity. How much more then shouldn't we live our lives for Christ? As Paul says, in the light of Christ's sacrifice, he died for all. Those who live, that's you and me, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Every morning as he wakes up, Paul thinks to himself, the glory of Christ today. It should be the love of Christ and love for Christ that compels all our thoughts and actions in this new year. A new priority. Secondly, when we're a new creation through being in Christ, we have a new perspective you look at verse 16, Paul says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul's becoming a new creation means that not only does he view Christ differently, but horizontally he views others differently too. When I recognize that I'm a sinner saved completely by God's grace, it changes how I see everybody else around me. I'm no better than them. I'm free. I'm free to be able to love and accept others. Alexander Schmemann was a Russian Orthodox priest. One day he was traveling on the underground in Paris with his fiancée. And at one stop, an old woman, a fairly old and ugly woman, got into the train and settled into a seat quite near to them. Uh, She was dressed in in the uniform of the Salvation Army. And Alexander and his fiancée began to whisper to each other in Russian about how repulsive this woman was, uh, safe in the knowledge that she couldn't understand a word. 
A few stops later, this lady stood up to get off the train, and as she passed by these two young lovers, she said to them in perfect Russian, I wasn't always ugly. And that encounter changed Alexander forever. He would often tell that story, and he'd say, that woman was an angel of God. She opened up my eyes to the way things really are. The way things really are is that each and every person with whom we come into contact is someone that God has fashioned and designed and whom Christ has come to die for. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you may talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Being in Christ results in a new priority, a new perspective, and finally a new profession. We have a new job, verses 18 to 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Some of us are about to start new jobs this year. Others of us are unemployed and still looking for new jobs this year. But did you know that each one of us has a government position? And besides being a taxpayer, I suppose. Uh, each of us are ambassadors. Not ambassadors for South Africa, but ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. Uh, George Shultz was the American Secretary of State when Ronald Reagan was president. And he kept a large globe in his office. And whenever a new ambassador was appointed, George would call him into his office to test him. And he would say to the ambassador, go over to the globe and prove to me that you can identify your country. And the ambassador would go over to the globe and try as quickly as possible to identify the country to which he was being sent. Here, I'm the ambassador to South Africa. I'm the ambassador to China. At one point, George Schultz's good friend, Mike Mansfield, was appointed ambassador to Japan, and he, even he didn't escape the test. Schultz said to him, go over to the globe and show me your country. This time, Mike, Mike Mansfield walked over to the globe, put his hand firmly on the United States and said, that's my country. An ambassador represents his country in a foreign country. He speaks with all the authority of his country. He can't go off and say any old thing. He has to say what his country tell, to, tells him to say. He's not there to represent himself and his interests, 
but rather to represent the best interests of his country. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, our citizenship is in heaven. You and I are strangers and foreigners here. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. We represent the values and the messages of another kingdom. We have a job to do, a job that stands above any other job that we might have. That is the job of imploring people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Having experienced this new creation for ourselves, we want to share our experience with others. I heard about a missionary lady called Jan who was working with athletes uh, for action or action for athletes. I can't remember uh, what the, the term is. Uh, but she was, she was being part of a conference, and it was actually a, a conference on listening to other people. And after the conference, uh, she and a couple of her friends went and sat in the hotel whirlpool and were chatting when two young teenage girls got into the pool with them. One of the girls, called Brittany, was busy telling her friend about a Wiccan party that she was going to attend that evening. And Jan's hair stood on end. She was about to tell this girl in no uncertain terms that this was evil and dangerous and she should stay as far away as possible from Wiccans and white magic. But she'd just been on this conference on listening, and so she decided to listen. She said to Brittany, Sounds like you're really excited about this. And that was all the encouragement that Brittany needed. She launched into a five-minute explanation as to why she was attracted to neo-pagan rituals. And the fact was that she'd had a really traumatic time in high school, and the Wiccans were the only ones who'd accepted her. Towards the end of her explanation, she said, You know, I've been through so much rubbish in my life so far. I'll probably be in therapy for the rest of my life. Jan said to her, it's probably hard for you to even imagine a future where you'll be free from all the pain you've gone through. Jan says that what happened next completely floored her. With a film of tears starting to form in her eyes and with complete sincerity in her voice, Brittany said, Sometimes I wish I could be born all over again. I'd really like to start from scratch. After a long pause, one of Jan's friends asked Brittany if she really would like to be born again. And Brittany replied, yes. And so the two ladies led Brittany into a relationship with Jesus. As we begin 2024, God offers us so much more than a new resolution. He offers us a new creation, being in Christ Jesus. A new creation which results in new priority, a new perspective, and a new profession. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone the new has come. Let's pray together.